This question this evening has um, been prepared. It says, As the Buddha did not proscribe the purchase of meat, thereby paying others to kill, this would imply that it is also permissible to pay others to steal, lie, engage in sexual misconduct, or consume intoxicants. Are these actions compatible with the Buddha's teachings? And if not, what is the reasoning behind this apparent inconsistency? <coughs> well, um, as the Buddha did not proscribe the purchase of meat, in other words, he didn't forbid the purchase of meat, thereby paying others to kill. Okay, so there might be a philosophical subtlety in here that I'm not picking up. But I'll um, do my best to respond, and then um, if there's something I miss, I'll turn it over to Ajahn Abhinando. So, uh, but my my reading of this is it rests in in the issue of karma and what the Buddha pointed out very clearly was the uh, where the responsibility lies for our actions, that we are responsible for our intentions. And uh, it was spoken quite particularly saying that, that in fact, karma is defined by our intention. Now, that's quite different from the effect of our actions. Uh, we sometimes have to focus quite carefully to, to see this point. But, for instance, if you're driving down the road <clears throat> recklessly, talking on your mobile phone, you know, music playing loudly, um, eating a sandwich and not paying attention and swerving over the road and you run somebody over and kill them and the karma of killing somebody, in that case, is determined by your heedlessness, your recklessness. If you saw somebody ahead of you you didn't like and you revved your car up and then screamed down the road and splat, squashed them and then felt good afterwards because you killed them, You've killed the person, the effect is the same, but actually the karma is very different. And I, I just mentioned that as a, as a gross example, but I hope it points to, to the essence of this, which is the, it's the intention that determines uh, the, re, the result, really the ultimate result. So in this case, the Buddha did not forbid purchasing meat, thereby paying others to kill. I think this is the, the point, really, that uh, he did He did obviously point out that killing was certainly morally reprehensible and said there's never an occasion for killing anything. Well, I think not so long ago I gave a talk and I said, he said, there's one occasion for killing. He said, you can kill your anger. That's the only thing that he uh, said was allowed to be killed. So the idea that by purchasing meat, that is the same thing as paying somebody to kill. That's not right. Uh, unless it is the fact that you, when you pay somebody for the meat, it is your intention 
that what you're doing is you're actually wanting them to go and kill one animal. Now, the effect is that you're causing, maybe, um, you're causing something to be killed, but it's not the same intention. And this is the point that needs to be focused on, I would say. So the intention to kill an animal, uh, the Buddha pointed out, is always unwholesome, unskillful, and reprehensible, and there will be unfortunate consequences. However, when you go to a shop and you offer the butcher some money, it's probably not your intention. You're probably not paying that person to go and kill an animal. They might be killing an animal, and you might be paying them, but that's not that's not the intention. And so there's a difference there. So it's not the same thing as paying somebody to go and steal or paying somebody to engage in sexual conduct and so on. So anyway, yeah, that's my um, that's my reading on it. Uh, it's it's where the intention lies. Now, my own feeling about the whole thing about meat is that um, I think if people want to eat meat, I, what I do is I encourage them go, to go to the abattoir. I think because it's good to know what what we're complicit in. Uh, now, where did I read this recently? I read I read a report recently. And I can't remember where it was. This group proposed that they put cam- uh, cameras in the chicken factories and the pig factories so that people could see that the chickens and pigs are being looked after nicely and they're being killed in a nice way. Of course, the factory owners, absolutely no way. And the excuse they used was they said, well, there's a risk that by going in there... Well, no, first they said, can we go in and and have a look and film? And they said, no way. And they said, because uh, you'll bring diseases in and also we have to stop terrorists from coming into the... The pig factory, that's that's what they said. You've got to stop terrorists from coming in. And um, and they also we've got to stop diseases from coming in. And so they said, well, could we put some cameras up? So that, you know, because the public's very concerned these days about how animals are being treated. And absolutely no way. There's no way that they would allow cameras to be put up because anybody who's been into one of these factory farms uh, will be well aware that it's not nice uh, what goes on in there. So I hope that helps this person to to uh, consider this question. So uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about this evening was, um, or just negative mind states, because it's uh, come to me quite often over the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, a number of people uh, really, really seriously caught up in, uh, in this case, particularly in anger. And, uh, you know, people ringing up or coming to see me and, and so it's been very, you know, I've had to really pay a lot of attention to it. And and in all cases, and no, not in all cases, unfortunately, but in most cases, what I found was that all that was needed was just to, after some time of, of discussing, of talking things over, that, um, that people remembered. They remembered the, the point of their practice that they've been doing over the years, which is that, Actually, if I get angry, if I get lost in anger, then I'm responsible for that. Now, okay, I'm not responsible for some of the terrible things that go on in the world. And, and in these cases, um, there was uh, somebody, somebody's partner had um, been incredibly unfair and, and manipulative, and really cruel, basically, very, very cruel, and left this friend in a, in a, in a very uh, unpleasant condition. And 
But the fact was that, uh, and what, what, what her partner did was, was wrong, was, you know, morally wrong and abusive. But the fact that she was angry meant that she wasn't able to deal with it. I mean, she wasn't physically injured, but um, she was psychologically uh, suffering. And in the course of the discussion, what we got back to was this essential point that that when we get lost in the passions and we suffer, that, that we we are responsible for that. And this, I think, this is this is such a basic point that that and, and we've all we all heard it, and we you know I've said it many times before, and but I think it needs to be said over and over again because that's not what the world thinks. And, and, and as a result, we get caught up in, in, in worldliness and, and so we think, you, know, you come out with these things that, you made me angry. You made me so angry. And what you did really upset me. You know, what, what, you say? what you did really upset me. Now, what does that sound like? You are responsible for me being upset. Now, is that the truth? You know, that's, is that the truth? Now, from the Dhamma perspective, we need to, not just look at the outside and, and how horrible what the other person did, you know, or how unjust or unfair it was. You know, like one of the other people that got in touch with me was, or came to see me was, was so angry that they could hardly talk. And um, they had been really messed around by the system big time. Again, very cruel and, and, and with terrible consequences. But the fact was that they were so caught in anger that they weren't able to do anything about the situation. And the worldly way we're all familiar with, you look at what goes on in the news, and you listen to the radio, read the newspapers, and somehow the responsibility is always out there. Yeah. It's always, who are we going to blame? Who are we going to sue? <laughs> who are we going to sue? It's, uh, it's the... Uh, Litigation these days is, uh, is the, the default. Who are we going to sue for, for this? Who's going to be responsible for that? Well, you know, there is the outer world and there is responsibility and, and, and so on, and that, that world has to be managed. But from the perspective of suffering, what's important is that we are honest enough and skilled enough to get in touch with that part of ourselves where we can see where we can really make a difference. Because if we're so caught up in anger because of what our partner did or what the system did, you know, if we're so caught up in anger, then anything we do is, in effect, going to make things worse. We might feel better. Now, this, this sometimes happens that, you know, it's like if you've been constipated for, for a week, you know, you go to the bathroom, you feel better. You know, that's just, <laughs> you just basically just got rid of something. But that doesn't mean to say that you did something virtuous. You just got rid of some bad stuff. And uh, so when we get a little anger pent up within us, you know, we feel like we're going to explode. Well, if you just find somebody that you can just dump on and, and have a go at, or, you know, like the dog, go and kick the dog or something, you, you might feel better. And then the dog goes and eats the cat, you know, or whatever. I mean, basically, we don't, when we, when we, when we spew this stuff out, it doesn't help. It might make us feel better, but this is delusion. You know, somebody, uh, another person was telling me how they'd been 
messed around badly by, I think, a whole string of, of cowboy builders recently. And it's been going on for years, um, trying to get some building work done up in Glasgow. And this woman who lives, her husband working away most of the time, and, and she's dealing with these cowboy, these crooked builders, and they give this big spin about how good they are and how reliable they are. They take your money and rip her off. And she was so angry about it. And, and she was explaining to me that what she did was she rang them up, she found this person, then she explained to them how there is a God up there, even though she doesn't believe in a God. She says there's a God up there, and the good people go to heaven, the bad people go to hell, and you're going down. And uh, she basically she just told the person to go to hell, she did it in a slightly more subtle way. And she said, I felt better afterwards. Well, you know, we can feel better when we make the other person suffer if we're lost in the anger. If we're lost in the anger, caught up in the anger, it feels like when I make you suffer, then I'm going to feel better. And it can, to some degree, feel better. But in the long term, it doesn't really help. And this is, uh, we see it, of course, on on a global scale, yeah, this horrible tit for tat that's going on in Israel and Palestine and the Palestinians and the Israelis and this this horrible thing that's been going on for so long and of course there's many other places on the planet where the same thing's going on. But on the heart level what's going on, you know, what what is actually happening? There's a basic belief that by following my anger it's gonna help. So now the courts in Iraq have, you know, decided that Saddam Hussein is guilty and they're going to hang him. And uh, so now the, uh, the 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 Shiites are all celebrating. The Shiites are going whoopee, and the Sunnis are going are unhappy with the Shiites. And and what's the good of that? I mean, what good does that do? Celebrating somebody who's going to be killed. On one level, on a very gross level, on perhaps I would say an, an instinctual or animal level, where we're still caught up in the passions, it might feel that way. But if we have any degree of, of what a peaceful mind is like, well then we have discovered for ourselves how painful it is to get caught up in anger. And so that's one of the things that we can do and one of the things that we, we need to encourage ourselves to do. Is to uh, is to cultivate the stillness and tranquility of mind where we get another perspective, a perspective whereby we're not lost. You know, to to work with our minds, to develop our minds, so we're not lost in the passions. You know, so we hear that what the the Buddha said, or all the great teachers have said about these things. You know, that verse in the Dhammapada where the the Buddha says, "Never by hatred is hatred conquered." but by willingness to love alone. Never by hatred is hatred conquered, but by willingness to love, love alone. This is eternal law. This is the Buddha's, just a statement, this is eternal law, this is how it really is. Never by hatred is hatred conquered, but by willingness to love alone. And so we hear that thing and say, yeah, that's okay for the Buddha, you know, but in my case, this guy really did this to me, and I was, you know, I've got a right to, what is that? It can feel so justified, but it only feels justified because we have a habit of following that and because so many other people follow that. But what's the evidence that it works? There is no evidence. I mean, the world's a mess. 
and for a lot of us, our, our minds, you know, get troubled and confused. Not just anger, but all sorts of other negative emotions we get caught up in. And we don't see the consequences. Well, if we're, if we're practicing this way, uh, cultivating mindfulness, well then, hopefully we do learn from making mistakes. And we do learn, we get the consequences, we feel it, and then we've got to be honest enough and say, all right, this painful feeling, this remorse, this regret, is a result of getting caught up in anger. One of my favorite teaching stories in this regard, you, some of you might remember me, I think it was about this time last year, I, I read about, um, it was autumn, and this chap had been raking the leaves out the back back garden on the lawn, had a big pile of dry leaves, and he was burning these leaves. And and then uh, he went inside and making a cup of tea or whatever, and then there was this mouse, he caught this mouse running around, and he caught the mouse, and he was so angry, because he, this mouse had been eating through his wires in the house or something, and and so he's, he's video or DVD or broadband connection or something rather than anything. So eventually he caught this mouse, and he was... He was really angry at his mouse, and so he, he saw this pile of burning leaves outside, so he, he stomped outside with his mouse, and he threw this mouse into a, the pile of burning leaves with anger. And what happened was the mouse caught fire and ran back into his house and burnt his whole house down. <laughs> now, I'm sorry that that guy's house burned down, but uh, as a teaching story, I think it's very vivid. You know, this is when we act on anger... We think that somehow we're going to gain, but really it turns around and hurts us. If we don't have mindfulness, if we don't have perspective, well, we don't see it, and so we keep doing the same thing over and over again. And then, of course, collectively, people do it, and so you get you know tribes and races and nationalities fighting each other. But from the Buddhist perspective, the emphasis and practice is always on mindfulness. Okay, we have a basis of morality... Which you know, I undertake the train to refrain from killing living beings. Now you could say, oh well, you know, the Buddha just said I undertake the training, which means that okay, from time to time I can go and kill something. Well, he, he you know he covered that point and said, no, it's not okay to go and kill something. Never. Uh, if we make our spiritual practice, uh, if we base our spiritual practice on, for instance, uh, being happy, sometimes um, this happens that people make. The point of spiritual practice is to become happy or to become peaceful or to develop concentration. You can set up these various goals in, in, in our Buddhist practice and, and then when we, our mind does become focused or concentrated, we think we're being successful or we're getting happy, we think we're being successful and, and this is the whole uh, force of our effort is to become more focused or more happy. And that might happen under certain circumstances when we've got supportive conditions. But when something unfortunate happens, like uh, maybe you get uh, a really bad medical diagnosis or or maybe somebody does the dirty on you in your business. Uh, I was with these people in Glasgow recently and they, were, they, they, they told me before what had happened in their business. So somebody just blatantly stole the business off them. Well, tried to, they failed, but they, it cost a lot of time and a lot of money to defend themselves and and you can uh, when these things happen 
if uh, if you're not prepared, and if your spiritual life just consists of being happy or just consists of sitting meditation from time to time and developing peacefulness, well then real, real anger comes along, or real anxiety, or real fear, and you feel really threatened, threatened at losing everything. If we're not prepared with mindfulness, if mindfulness is not the uh, the point of our practice, well then we don't learn the lesson, and we, uh, the tendency is to is to react and. And then reaction triggers all the chemicals in the body, and 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 then these mind states uh, can become overwhelming, like fear and anxiety. And something happens, uh, we feel threatened, and fear, anxiety gets triggered. And if we're not well prepared with the strength of mindfulness and a commitment to integrity well, then this stuff can take us over. And then, of course, because it's so painful, we, 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 our tendency is to get lost in fighting it, trying to get rid of it. You know, or maybe initially we, we try to fight them and try to get rid of them, try to get rid of the cause, the outer cause. And meanwhile, all this stuff is brewing up inside us. So, and once these chemicals get going, and it, it's very difficult to let go of them. And even if we can let go of the outer cause... Whether it's anger or fear or jealousy, these negative emotions, even if we can deal with the outer cause, uh, because we're not really well established, or if we're not really well established in mindfulness and the whole body-mind, then these things keep coming back and we don't understand what's going on. We mistake them. We keep making more out of them. We can get very fooled by these negative mind states. And, uh, and, and if it goes on for a very long time, we're unaware and, and don't really inspect anger, don't really inspect the experience of anger, don't really investigate the experience of fear, these negative mind states actually <clears throat> can become an addiction. And in a way it's understandable because you kind of get a buzz, you know, you can get, you can get a buzz. Like I, I was looking at the uh, American election Results just this afternoon, and I was just thinking, you know, maybe there's a chance that those Republicans might lose. Not that actually I think it would make that much difference if the Democrats got in, I, I, you know, but it's kind of interesting. It's a reshuffle, and, you know, kind of George Bush take a bit of a whacking or something. And, you know, you can, you can get off on a little indignation, little, a little thrill, a cheap thrill, hoping somebody's going to lose. We're watching, watching watching a good rugby match. You know, I like to see the Australians get really thrashed. Or the South Africans, for that matter, too. I really like when the South Africans get absolutely pummeled by the All Blacks. <laughs> yeah. well, that's not really nice, really. I mean, you know, because the poor South Africans, they go away feeling sad. And, uh, yeah. and then when the New Zealanders get thrashed by the French, well, then I go away feeling sad, because the French actually play very good rugby. And, but you can get a cheap sort of a thrill off, off you know that, that that kind of negative emotion or fear. You know, why do people go to see scary movies? You know, well, it's a kind of a little rush. It's better than being bored. You know, get a get a rush, get a hit. And uh, to some degree, these these emotions you know are not going to damage us too much. But 
if we don't really understand them, if we haven't really inspected our relationship to them, we can be feeding on them and we can become addicted to them. And even though we really need to let go of something like resentment, for somebody, somebody did something really nasty to us, or fear if we feel threatened, we really need to be able to let go of these things. Actually, it's not enough just to want to let go of them. If we've been feeding on these things for long enough, not just negative emotions for that matter, also positive emotions, if we've been feeding on these emotions and getting a cheap thrill off them, which is, you know, it's kind of pretty normal, then when we're faced with the task of, of really, really suffering, we just can't do it. So I think it's helpful to have this kind of understanding because, if, you know, when these things do come up and you get stuck on something, and you think, why can't I let go of this? Why can't they? Well, you just say, well, okay, well, you know, maybe my whole relationship to the emotional household is not based on awareness and understanding. And that's understandable because, you know, we, most of us don't get a very good education in these things. As I started off by saying, you, all the newspapers and the, the television or the news or mass media, your indignation is okay. You know, people, people talk in a way whereby I was so angry by that. that nobody, I mean, I hear somebody say that on the news. I say, somebody says, I was so angry, I feel so hurt. I don't, what, don't they feel embarrassed to confess that in public? <laughs> you know? Because obviously it's a sign of weakness and, and uh, limitation. But that's not the case. That's not the, the, uh, the shared view of the world. The shared view of the world. We've got a right to get indignant. Uh, we've got a right to uh, blame other people or, or even hurt other people who, if we think we've hurt them, that they've hurt us. But from a Dhamma perspective, that's just, that's insanity. That's just madness, actually. And there's no end to it. If we follow it, then that addiction is never cured. We're never free from it. So to understand these things as a kind of addiction, I think, helps. And then we can, we can actually come off the drug of, uh, these, uh, toxic emotions little by little. You don't want to wait until something really heavy happens before we practice with these things. It's wise to practice with the little emotions, actually, and like little moments of resentment, like how you feel, or like how I feel about the American elections. You know, just just to be quietly aware of if we're just feeding on negative feelings or fear and fear in relationships. We don't want to wait till we really get knocked over by some uh, some really traumatic anxiety if we can avoid it. And just to cultivate the presence, the here and now, body-mind, uh, judgment-free awareness, so that when little moments of fear come up in relationship, uh, we get interested in them. So I think this is the essence, really. It's not, it's not moralizing, uh, you know, uh, to ourselves about how we shouldn't be angry or we shouldn't be afraid or we shouldn't get caught up in negative emotions, jealousy and envy and so on. And that's, uh, that's, uh, in a way that's a kind of a lazy response. Just, we can't feel good by, by uh, giving ourselves a bad time. That's actually another, just another cheap thrill really, kind of feeling righteous. You know, very interesting example of, of righteous indignation. Somebody was telling me how, how their boss at work spends most of the day 
going in and out of the office, telling people where they're not allowed to park. There's the parking spaces outside the office uh, are lined up, you know, marked. This parking's for this person, this one's a disabled one. And, and sometimes the disabled person doesn't use their parking space. And they park somewhere else. But if somebody else comes and parks and the disabled person, the boss goes out and really has a go at them. And, you, can, you know, you're really getting off on this. It's just it's apparently happens regularly, just going in and out, telling people all day long they're not allowed to park here, not allowed to park there. Even to the point where he was driving down the road and he saw somebody a long way ahead of him crossing the road reading a newspaper. And there was no cars anywhere near him, but he could see this. And so he sped up so that he could just get there and, and you know, really give this guy a bad time, you know, point out what an idiot he was crossing the road with the newspaper. Indignation, righteous indignation is uh, another uh, cheap thrill. So these little emotions that we might be getting off on, uh, you know, uh, feeding on, these are really the things to look at. If we can establish our mindfulness and, 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 and preparation uh, and work with these little things, well then when the bigger ones come along, maybe we'll be, you know, we'll be better placed. Uh, I imagine myself that uh, you know when when you're dying, that's probably a, a good opportunity to get indignant. Well, not a good one, but I think it's uh, one that people often use. Um, you know, I've got a very dear friend now who's one of these people who's very angry, actually, who was telling me what it's like being in an old folks' home, and I feel for her. Uh, she's very independent, very capable, strong woman, uh, lived alone most of her life um, and now she's uh, quite aged and, and deteriorating significantly and she has to sit at tables with other people worse off than her and, and watching them dribble and, and, and do other things that happens when you get old and it's not how she wants it to be that's very sad that it's like that but the fact is that that happens, that happens to most people. And to get indignant about it uh, is, uh, is not really going to help. And so if we can see these things happening around us in other people, or in our own case, whether it's big, hopefully not, but the small negative emotions, uh, anger and jealousy and envy and fear, not to dismiss these things as irrelevant, we can do this. You say, oh, that's that's not important. That's just a little moment of anger. Or, you know, well, that's just a little moment of fear or of intimidation. Well, the, the Buddha encouraged us to be aware of the little moments. You know that image he gave of how a jar of water fills up. He says, don't think that the little moments don't matter, but drop by drop, the jar of water fills up. You can know, you can get with a big jar of water just drop. One little drop doesn't look very much, but uh, from a Buddhist perspective, from a mindfulness training perspective, each moment of mindfulness matters. So when there's anger or jealousy or envy or resentment or fear, intimidation, any of these negative emotions, then to remember that trying to be mindful, trying to be present, a whole body, mind, here and now, judgment-free way, is preparation, is wise preparation. And the positive emotions also. We can, uh, when there's positive emotions, when we're really, really having a good time, really flying high, everything is just wonderful, just feeling really good. You know, sometimes the body just feels so full of energy and you just, 
you know, maybe you do a little workout or something rather and you had a good cup of green tea and, and had a shower and you just feel full of energy and, or maybe your meditation's gone really well and you just feel so cool, so settled and grounded and, and you feel so good about life and, and everything. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that goodness. However, the feeling tone, the feeling tone of happiness, of pleasure, of joy, is also something that we're encouraged to be mindful of. Because if we don't, well then there is the risk that uh, we're going to attach to it. And you, you can be in a good space for you know, a few days, a few weeks, a few months, and then get attached to it, and and then you... Then something happens, I don't know, you go home and see your mother or something. And that's what I'm going to be doing next month or the month after that and do a, get a reading on my spiritual practice. My mother is the best barometer in my spiritual practice. She always gives me a very accurate reading of exactly where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, sometime maybe living here, look at all these lovely saint-like, saint-like monks, and they're not saints as far as I know, but they're, they're saint-like, you know, wonderful, inspiring monks in some areas, and Anagarikas, and, and we have this lovely place we live in here, and this lovely Harnham Hill, and lovely Northumberland, you know, we've got the cleanest air, the freshest air, the best water, and the fewest pylons, and I don't know whatever else we've got, Northumberland's a wonderful place to be, and it's, it's actually, it is a very good place to live, and and uh, you, if we're not mindful of the good feelings that are just relatively good feelings arising in association with the conducive conditions, if we're not mindful of that, well then, yeah, there can be heedlessness in that area as well. So it's not just negative mind states, not just negative feelings and negative emotions that we're encouraged to be mindful of. But even when things are going good, just to note, yeah, feeling good feels like this. I sometimes talk to myself. Yeah, I, uh, and I, I, don't, I don't think, well, I'm only, maybe I'm a little bit mad, but I don't think I'm too mad. I think it's just, it's a, it's very helpful. <laughs> it's a helpful support for mindfulness. You know, I, I teach myself, you know, if I, if sometimes, you know, one of the novices does something or somebody does something that's, you know, disagreeable and, you know, like if the electricity goes off. Now, my feeling, if the electricity goes off, the first person who sees the electricity goes off, should go and check to see the fuse box to see if we're responsible. And if we're not responsible, well, then the next thing you do is you ring up the electricity board and find out if anybody else has said there's a power cut. And because until somebody reports it, they don't know there's a power cut. And maybe you're the first person. They say, thank you very much. And then they get about fixing it. Well, over and over again here, we have power cuts. So nobody ever does anything about it. I'm always, you know, not always, I don't know, maybe somebody else sometimes rings the power board, but, you know, I'm the one who has to go to look at the fuse box and see if the fuse is gone. And now, there are occasions when I find that a little bit irritating. And there have been occasions when I've even commented on it. <laughs> but on such occasions, this is just an example, you know, where you do something which is less than absolutely impeccable. Um, the thing to do is to go away and learn from it. And so this is what I try to do. I try I tell myself, does getting angry at the Anagarikas help? You know, that's, I ask myself the question. You know, you, and, and it's helpful. Because if I ask myself that question, well then the honest answer comes back and say, no, it doesn't. 
And then you can say, well, this is what it feels like to be angry. This is, does, does really getting off on anger feel good? And if you're really in awareness, if you're in awareness, then anger doesn't feel good. If you're caught up in the passions, then anger might, you might be getting a cheap brush off it. Yeah, but if we're in awareness, and so sometimes this dialogue can help. You say, does it feel good to be really caught up in anger? Or does it feel good to be caught up in jealousy? or resentment, or indignation. Just to ask ourselves this question, does it feel good? Or to tell ourselves, say, this, this is what, this is what anxiety feels like. You know, if you get caught up in anxiety, and lost in it, and maybe it's been that way for so long, maybe there are deep causes for it, many people do, our fragmented society, these days it's perfectly understandable, in fact, there's a sort of shared level of anxiety that most of us are carrying around. And if something triggers it, and we don't recognize what it is, and we get caught in it, well, then we can use this self-dialogue to help ourselves go back to awareness instead of getting caught in the state. And so you can, you can talk to yourself and say, say, Menindo, this is what anxiety feels like. This is what anxiety feels like. And you, so you come back and get a bigger perspective, a bigger picture on it. So all of these things help. And then if we do let go, we do find the experience of dropping into awareness and letting go of our ill will, like happened to these various people that I've been talking to lately. Just uh, encouragement to remember their practice. Then after a few minutes they come back and then they feel okay again. Oh, yeah, that's right, I was caught in anger. And you let go and oh, your breathing comes down to your belly again and you feel the energy comes down out of your head and and you feel centered. All right, this this is the feeling of letting go of anger. This is the feeling of letting go of anxiety. So these two things. This is a basic Buddhist principle in in cultivating the way. One is to see the consequence of our getting caught up and lost. You know, to feel what we, how much we suffer. To really be honest and aware and alert and sensitive to the negative consequences of our being caught up. And then the other is to really make conscious the positive, the benefit of letting go. These two things, if they're raised up in awareness, into mindfulness, help us uh, with developing understanding. So I hope these reflections this evening are some uh, contribution and support of your contemplation and your daily life practice. Thank you very much for your attention. Um,